Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You know what I love about podcasting, Billy? Tell me, Tom. You get to dress comfortably. <gasps> That's why I was so excited when I found out about Viore. Seriously, it's more comfortable than anything you're wearing right now. And they're versatile, Dom. You can use them for all your sports, running, swimming, jumping, surfing, or just lounging around. Is jumping a sport? Anyway, yes. we'll talk about that later. The men's Sunday performance jogger is the perfect lounge or work jogger. I'd wear them every day if I could. I can't get enough of them. Fiori is an investment in your happiness. For our listeners, they are offering 20% off your first purchase. Get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash onion. That's V-U-O-R-I.com slash onion. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any US orders over $75 and free returns. Go to viore.com slash onion and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. Harmonize with me and hold me tight all through the night. You're shining bright, I'm your oyster, baby, you're my pearl. William, we're here, we're back, we're here. I caught you unawares there. You did, I was just fixing my cans, as they call it. In how's, the, um, how's it going? Uh, yeah, good, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Yeah. What's I, been I, happening this week? Uh, let me think now. Oh, I came to your house. Yeah, you did, you made me eggs. We talked the week before last about um, my fantastic uh, scrambled eggs method. Not really a recipe, just more of a method. It's a method, Dom. It's yeah. a method. And uh, you even I, brought I your you own eggs. Brought my own eggs. I um, had eggs. Brought some chives. I didn't, I didn't want to get to the house, make it having thought about making scrambled eggs, and you go, "Well, where are they?" Oh, yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? You're making scrambled eggs and yeah. I'm supposed to be bringing the scrambled eggs? Oh, the eggs. Yeah. So I brought my own eggs and well some done. chives. You and made a loaf of bread. I'd made, I'd made two loaves of bread, Tom. Yeah, but we didn't have the second one. Well, I had it during the next few well, days. Why is that important to tell us that you made two? We only had one that night. But I just thought I'd let you know I made two. Yeah, yeah. And they were delicious, weren't they? We toasted some bread. Yeah, we did. I... You toasted it. Yeah, I really whipped the scrambled eggs up into a frenzy in a deep saucepan yeah. whilst cooking it slowly. Mm. And what were the results? Absolutely lovely, Dom. I couldn't have asked for anything more. And I was hungry by the time they came. Oh, it, took, it takes, I would say, double the amount of time that you normally make your scrambled eggs. But you said at the end of eating them, I will never eat scrambled eggs in any other way but that again. Yeah. Never in a frying pan, always in a deep saucepan. Absolutely, with some butter, I think. Oh, no, was it butter? Or oh, was there was it? butter in there. But was there cream as well? It was a little dash, I would say. Butter and cream? It's a little. It's quite decadent. Yeah, well, Gordon Ramsay wants creme fraiche in there, and I didn't think we'd deserve that. No. But I tell you what, Tom, it was delicious. Wasn't it? And, and it I thanked you for it. I said, thank you, Tom. You did. And we put a little bit of jardinera on <sighs> top. <gasps> just, the, just the sauce from the jardinera was enough oh. for me, because it was spicy. It was spicy. It's hot. It's hot. But it was absolutely lovely, and I thank you for that, Tom. You're more than thank welcome. You. It was my honour to serve you. You're very often feeding me, and it's nice to make a change. Anyway, should we do a bit of housekeeping? Peeling the onion. 
housekeeping. How much fun are you to keep a house so clean and true? Over to you. And to me, housekeeping. Now, we've been talking about the emergency bracelet that saved me and my son's pants the yes. other day when we couldn't find a belt to hold his pants up. And I remembered I had an emergency bracelet. Didn't know who it was from. Yes. We'd lost the, the letter and it worked a treat. Here we go, Dom. Let, I'll give you the story behind Please, it. Please, give me the skinny. Billy and Dom, I was very excited to hear you all talk about the survival bracelets on my drive home on Tuesday. And then later watch Billy recount the story of saving his son's pants with the 550 cord. I was excited to make those for you guys. I have loved hearing and watching all the podcasts, YouTube, and to see your friendship. It's so much fun. And y'all, she says you all. Y'all. Do you, you know why all. that is? It's because she's from Fort Worth, Texas. Exactly. Y'all really make a bad day good and a good day even better. That sounds like something Bilbo would say. I like to make those bracelets because I worked overseas in the Middle East and Iraq with the military for six years. It was pretty easy to get hold of 550 cord and it was something to do when there was nothing to do in an off day. Consequently, I would make them while watching Lord of the Rings trilogy on repeat. It was in constant rotation with a few other trilogies. I enjoy making them now for friends and family as keychains and bracelets. I like making true survival bracelets for those who would be in survivalist situations as either of you could be since you surf in any of Dom's world-travelling adventures. I mean, you travel around the world too. Yeah, I do. You do, you do. Yeah, thank you. The bracelet is made out of one full length, six to eight feet of 550 cord uncut. There are some imposters, imposter, imposter bracelets that shortchange you and cut it in half so you've only got two, three or four foot cords. The other great thing about the bracelets that I sent you guys, they are extra special because there is a waterproof tinder fishing line and cotton thread added to the core of the cord making it an elite survival bracelet. All that said, I would really love to make Billy's son a bracelet since he surfs and seems quite the adventurer, as well as we Bobby Johnson, and I'll let you know that he's not an adventurer at all. No, he's not. Uh, but uh, if you give me the sizes, I'd love to do that. And anyway, Dom, it came from Jennifer Fagan, who's in Fort Worth, Texas. And Jennifer, I would like to say from me, my son, and Bobby Johnson, thank you very much. Yes, thank you. We finally got to the end of that mystery. Thanks, Jennifer, for getting in touch. We very much appreciate it. Hey, what? we've also had some voicemails. So we let's listen, let's to listen to you one or two, shall we, John? Johnny, a little bit. Come on, Johnny, you piece of shit. Oh, emails and real mails. Fast as tigers, slow as snails. I believe, um, absolutely love the podcast. I could listen to you guys talk for hours. Um... You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So I work as a behavioral scientist, and I mostly focus on video games. And as I'm sure you are also aware of, video games often get a bad rap. Um, but I was wondering, seeing as you really love playing League of Legends and other games as well, um, what are some of the positive aspects that you've experienced from playing games? What are some of the <coughs> benefits that you've experienced um, from playing games? Yeah, it's just curious. Thanks. Dom, that sounds like... League of Legends update! We've been playing quite a bit, haven't we? We've had some epic moments on the rift. Oh, I've been loving it, Dom. You got an S minus and an S. Oh, I got an S minus, an S, and an A. All ah. in this, and that's not like me. No, I'm or SAS. I'm C's and D's. Yeah, I know. But not this week. No, not this week. You've done fantastically well. Uh, Nunu, A, Heimerdinger. S minus. Wow. And uh, Mermaid. N- Nami. Nami. S, S minus. Congratulations Thank to you. Thank you very much, I sir. played with you during the Heimerdinger hijinks, and you were insanely uh, fantastic. And then also uh, Nunu and the Woolen. Although, and I wanted to ask you this, it's good to ask you this on the podcast. Nunu and the Woolen is very famous for rolling a massive snowball down True. lanes towards people. True. And the snowball gets bigger and bigger, and then you can hit it into someone, and it knocks them up in the air and freezes them for a second. Yeah. Which you're brilliant at. Very adept. But also, yeah. I've seen Nunu and the Woolump people, the little kid on top of yeah. the Woolump, Nunu, I Nunu. Is also able to throw an individual snowball. Yeah. I've never seen you do that. Oh, I do it. Really? Yeah. Because if you throw, is it three or four, they freeze. Four. I've never seen you throw a snowball. You've got a circle around you, and if you keep them within the circle while you're throwing the snowballs, by the fourth one, they freeze. But it's hard to keep them in the circle. And then you get Willem to bite them. So is, is that why it's hard? Is you throw one and they start running and then they you, start running, you try to keep up with them, and, and then it they cancels go the them table. out once they leave yeah. the sphere of uh, of uh, snowballness. Yeah, right. So I'm not I'm not great. I'm not great at remembering all the buttons. You know, it's not easy, Tom. But positivity. What positives does playing video games give you? Well, I positively killed all of the enemy team last night. The which, whole lot, which I've not I done before. That. I, I never. I one v five them. That's amazing. Yeah, I've never done that before, so I was very happy about that. Well, I mean, it's difficult. We've made some lovely friends uh, during the playing of League of Legends and had some truly hilarious moments. I mean, like we've really we've had funny times moments. where all of us are creased up laughing. Yeah, we did have our first fight ever. That that's, that wasn't positive though. Should we need to talk? Uh, we shouldn't talk. That about was it. a negative thing. The first and only fight that Billy and I have had. I mean, we've had difference of opinion. Like, well, I. Don't agree. Okay, I don't agree with that either. And then it's fine. But an actual like, you shouldn't have done that. And then I can. I don't care what you say. Yeah, you're right. I shouldn't have done that. Uh, was during League of Legends. Um, I tell you what I like about it as a positive thing. I'm doing things in the house and I'm doing paperwork and catching up with this and that. And oh, life is hard. You know? Is it hard? Yeah. Isn't it? And then 
you go, oh, I was just going and play a game at League of Legends, and it's just a bit of escapism, isn't yeah. it? And you'd be this little character doing a thing, rolling a snowball, or and it's just fun. It's just a little bit of escapism and fun. As a crew, you and I, our friend Nigel, our friend Andrew, our friend Jake, a few other people, Natalie that plays with us, I think as a crew, we're quite positive, yeah. and we big each other up a lot. Yeah. So if someone does something... There's a lot of like, oh, well done. Oh, that was brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Oh, good for you type thing. Although the other thing is that sometimes if Nigel's had a beer or two, he can sometimes start to call us names, can't he? He gets quite, yeah. He doesn't like to lose. No one likes to lose, but Nigel doesn't deal with it very well. I think it's because he tries to pretend to his other friends. That he's good. That he doesn't play. Ah, yeah. That, oh, I'm not a nerd. I don't, I don't play video games. But he does play video games. He does play video games and he is a nerd. Um, he just, I think Nigel's in real conflict with himself because you and I like, look, every so often, a few times a week, we play this game and we're a bit nerdy about it. But Nigel kind of goes, oh, you're playing your nerd games. Then we're like, yeah. <laughs> he's like, oh, I'll be there in two minutes. <laughs> so he's, he's in deep, deep conflict. But I think we pay each other a lot of attention and give each other kind of positive affirm, reinfirmance, reinfirmance? Reinfirmance. During COVID especially, when we were all isolated and locked down, I found League of Legends and the League of Legends community to be a place where I could have a little interaction with animals. I like fantasy as well. So yeah. dipping into a fantasy world of wizards and goblins and witches and cats on flying carpets, that inspires me, uh, uh, you know, just walking around in my day to think that I'm involved in that type of game. So. Yeah, and just to, to get a little bit better at something, that skill makes you kind of feel like, oh, I did something, even you, if it is a video game. I mean, do you think you're getting better at League of Legends? I think you're digressing. Only joking, William. I don't know if he is. Voicemail. No, we've moved on. John says we've run out John of time says for our voicemail. there's no time for that because we've got a fantastic guest today. I'll tell you what. We got a message here about tongue twisters. We might do it next week. We got a message here about uh, uh, moving out. We might do that next week. But like you said, unfortunately, or fortunately, I should say, We've got a fantastic guest. A lot of people have been asking for this guest. Oh, wait, before we do that, I know oh, it's a long episode. hold on. But I did ask, if any, just to continue on with our amazing regular segment of a swear word in each Lord of the Rings right. film. Um, we've got one here from Nigel. And this isn't even, uh, this isn't even in the film. It's just the title of the film. Right. He suggested Lord of the... Which I think is harsh. I don't know if I like that one. Uh, so, uh, go on. Wait, when Mary and Pippin, this is from she uh, Seamus, Seamus Martin, who says, when Mary and Pippin go into Saruman's storeroom, one of them should loudly exclaim, holy f***. <laughs> <laughs> the same answer, excuse me, the same answer here from Mattia Spearstem. I've probably got that name wrong. And also... Beach, Beecham X, Frodo yeah. to Gandalf. Keep your f***ing secrets then. Here's one. Here's one, Dom. And this is a this is a Mary one. Where before uh, Pippin goes to Minas Tirith with Gandalf, Mary, when I've looked in the Palantir, you say, "Why the f*** do you always have to look?" <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like that one. That caught me in my chest. Um, we've got a lot of comment. We've got a lot of comments from people when Vigo or Aragorn, I should say, kicks 
The helmets yeah. and breaks his feet. He shouts, "Fuck or shit or it or something like that." Um, remember last week we had Sean Astin said to, oh sorry, Sam Wise Gamgee said to Gollum, "Potatoes." Love that one. And we My had favorite yet. We had Al. Oh sorry, A Delvo wrote back with Gollum answering, "What the potatoes, precious." <laughs> So that was lovely. All right, well, that puts the bow on it. We'll have more of those next week. Well, let's bring in our amazing guest. Wait till you see this. You know what, Tom? I've set myself some goals this year. Oh. One of them is I work out more than I used to. Mm. I'm enjoying it. The weather's getting better. I'm getting in the garden. I'm lifting weights. Mm. And I tell you what I use, Tom. Liquid IV. Mm. I really love it when I'm working out. Mm. You take one stick of liquid IV and 16 ounces of water and it hydrates you faster and more efficiently than just water alone. Wow. Plus, it's got great flavours, watermelon, lemon and lime, strawberry. I, I love them all. Yeah. One stick of liquid IV in 16 ounces of water hydrates faster and more efficiently than water alone. It contains five essential vitamins, B3, B5, B6, B12, and vitamin C with three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks. It's also made with premium ingredients and it's non-GMO, free from gluten, dairy, and soy. And you will love this, Dom. Go on. It's not just good for us, but Liquid IV is on a mission to change the world. Liquid IV has donated over 19 million servings globally, so you can feel good when you support them. That's fantastic. So grab Liquid IV in bulk nationwide at Costco, or you can get 25% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use the code ONION at checkout. That's 25% off anything you order when you use the code ONION at liquidiv.com. Experience better hydration today at liquidiv.com, promo code ONION. Dom. Using the internet without ExpressVPN is like leaving your keys in the car while you run into the gas station for a snack. Oh, no. Most of the time, that's going to be okay. But one day, mm. you'll come out of the bathroom and your laptop will be gone. Yeah, not good. I always get a little freaked out when I'm using an unencrypted network, like mm. in cafes, hotels, airports, because any hacker on the same network can gain access to my personal data, like passwords or even financial details. And I've just found out, Dom, mm. that it doesn't take much technical knowledge to hack someone. It's just some cheap hardware. That's all it's needed. Yeah, and our data is valuable. That's why hackers want it. Hackers can make up to $1,000 per person selling personal info on the dark web. That's why I use ExpressVPN. It's easy to use. All I have to do is get the app and click one button to be protected. They offer encrypted tunnel, which creates a secure encrypted tunnel between my device and the internet, making it so hackers can't steal my sensitive data. It's super secure, so I don't have to worry about my information being stolen and it works on all my devices. Yeah, I use it all the time. Every time I'm in hotels, every time I'm in airports, mm -hmm. I skip over to my little app, click on my ExpressVPN, and I'm super happy. Fantastic, Dom. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash onion. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash onion. And you can get an extra three months free. Expressvpn.com slash onion. We are bringing in Tolkien expert Corey Olson. And I'll read this thing from online here. Corey Olson is the president and founder of Signum University, an innovative online university that enables students to pursue their passions without going broke. Brilliant. We want to talk about that yeah, with him as well. Yeah, for sure. Known online as the 
Tolkien professor, Corey leads several weekly Tolkien discussions, including exploring, exploring the Lord of the Rings, a sentence-by-sentence <laughs> sentence journey through Tolkien's classic story. Sentence-by-sentence. Sentence. So he basically reads the book and does a podcast about it. I love it. Brilliant. Well, should we bring in Corey? We're hoping to stump him, aren't we? Well, I'd, I've got a lot of things to ask him. I do too. Let's do it. Corey, it's great to have you on the Friendship Onion. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. I was running out of gas on the way up here, but I was listening to your podcast, so I didn't want to even take a break to go into the garage <laughs> and get gas. It's really, it's incredibly interesting. You guys go so in-depth, but... Oh, yeah. And I know a little bit about Tolkien, but you guys, you know a lot about the professor and his and the world that he he invented. Oh, it is so much fun going over. You know, I, I've taught Tolkien, of course, many times. I used to teach in college classes and things. And, you know, every time you read it through, every, especially every time you discuss it with students, there are always new things that you see. Mm. Uh, and so in the Exploring the Lord of the Rings discussions that we do every week, uh, just kind of, you know, going through the whole book sentence by sentence. Man, I, I, I've probably read this book 50 times, but going through every single week, there's something that we come across that I'm like, have I even read that before? Like, ha has that has that been there the whole time? You know, Brilliant. it's it's just amazing. It's it's so much fun. Last night, uh, we had session number 218 just last night. Uh, and we were talking about the passage where Boromir blows his horn before they leave Rivendell. Yeah. Um, and it was... <laughs> fascinating fascinating like what, what i was realizing last night that boromir is actually like uh kind of dissenting like he's he's sort of um he's not on board like he's showing that he is not on board yeah. like everyone's gathered there right the entire like all of the elf population of rivendell has been working for months on operation secret mission right like we're supposed to like the number one most important thing is that Sauron is, and his servants are supposed to not know when we're setting off and what we're doing. What does Boromir do? He blows his horn so that everybody can hear it. And, and he's like, I always blow my horn when I depart. Right. Uh, and then he says, like, though after this we may walk in shadows, I will not go forth as a thief in the night, which is cool. Like, he's a fourth-rate kind of guy, yeah. right? But, like, you've got, like, seriously, the elves are, like, face-palming, like, secret mission, Boromir, <laughs> yeah. secret mission. I mean, it's Come a on. bit it's a And bit Boromir's of a like, I'm move. not on board. Yeah, it's a little bit of a dick move. That's like a bunch of guys, or, <laughs> that's like a party of people getting together for a surprise birthday party and saying, right, shh, we'll close the curtains, we'll turn the lights off, and when she comes in, that's when we'll say the surprise. And as the person parks at the driveway, one guy goes, hey, surprise! No, <laughs> and then his excuse for that is, I'm not that kind of guy yeah. who does surprises. I announce. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, it's a bit yeah. of a yeah. Yeah, exactly. yeah, I don't, no, remember I don't that. like to do that kind of thing to people. Yeah, no, that's it. That, that's Boromir. That's Boromir. So, yeah. so let's take it right back to the start. Let's take it so, back. We're going right back. <laughs> Which is always something that me and Dom like to ask people is when did it first come into your life? When did you first read either The Hobbit or, or Lord of the Rings? Yeah. I was eight when I first read The Hobbit. Oh, um, you're clever. So I had, my, I had my, my cousin handed me a copy of the book. I had just read The Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis with my parents. Um, right. And my cousin had heard that I, had, I, I loved The Chronicles of Narnia, still do. And uh, my cousin had heard that I really liked it. And so he said... If you like the Chronicles of Narnia, you'll like this. And he handed me uh, 
uh, my first copy of The Hobbit, which I still have on a shelf next to me. It's the uh, it's the uh, cranky old uh, paperback lovely. with the purple emus on it, which is pretty cool because oh, yeah. it has nothing at all to do with The Hobbit. But um, uh, anyway, so he handed me this copy of The Hobbit and said, I think you'll like that. And I, I read it and I got a copy of The Lord of the Rings right after. And, and I've been reading and rereading the books ever since. That nice. is fantastic. Now, in these... In these classes that you teach at your university, and we want to talk about the university as well in general, but does that compass, encompass, I should say, all of Tolkien's work, or does that kind of zero in on The Lord of the Rings specifically? So there are a bunch of different things that we do. On the one hand, a lot like my Tuesday night class, my Exploring the Lord of the Rings discussion, uh, that's that's an open discussion. That's not like a credit-bearing class, uh, you know, as part of our official degree program. Um that's a public program that we do for everybody at any time. And, you know, we distribute that and everything. Um, our courses within the graduate degree program cover, uh, cover lots of things. We, you know, we could, we certainly cover all of Tolkien's works. My broadcast there, um, I do a couple different broadcasts. So I do my exploring the Lord of the Rings broadcast, which is just on Lord of the Rings and goodness knows that's plenty. I, I said it was session number 218. We're only at the, like, they're just, they're, we've not left Rivendell yet. <laughs> we've not <laughs> left Rivendell yet. And, and we've been, it's five years. We've now been doing this every week and we've not left Rivendell yet. So it's going to be a while. Um, but I do other things. So like, for instance, I do uh, my Mythgard Academy series, which is uh, basically kind of like an online book club where we go a little faster. We go chapter mm -hmm. by chapter instead of uh, sentence by sentence. And uh, there I've been going through, for instance, the History of Middle-Earth series edited by Christopher Tolkien, which gives all of the uh, like the background history, like all of the drafts that Tolkien wrote, all the earlier unpublished things that he wrote, yeah. to sort of watch how his stories and his ideas unfolded over time. Really amazing stuff. Mm. So um, I've been kind of teaching my way uh, on a series through that, and all this stuff is available on our YouTube page. And I, I dived into something um, that I thought looked interesting because I didn't know what it was the film film and yes is, is this the idea that you guys are working on making a silmarillion film yes it Wait, is this it is, is the so, one where i was yeah, the, totally interested because it, oh yeah I, I dived in in the middle of somewhere but listening to you guys work it out as a film seemed incredibly interesting and it made me think this is how you this is how all films should be worked out because you were going back yeah. and you know, polishing and so tell us about that if you could quickly. Oh man, it was it's it's cool. So this actually started uh, was inspired originally uh, in the, by the process of the Hobbit films when the right. Hobbit films were in production. I started uh, a series that I called Littles in the Dark, and w what we did was we kind of went through and we discussed the Hobbit, and we were thinking about like what are some of the challenges to adapt the Hobbit, and yeah. so it began as a kind of discussion of the hobbit and a kind of guessing game about like you know what would you know peter jackson and company actually do you know in the hobbit movies and stuff um and then we actually even had like um uh, you know so we'd have a, a question and we had score sheets and everything to see like who would uh you know who would best predict what they would actually do how they would handle this question for instance one of our one of our questions was are we going to see uh are we going to see the severed head uh, of, uh, of 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 Thor. You know, are, are we going to see Thor's severed head uh, in the film? Um, and I predicted that we would, which led to a really comical moment. The first time I saw the film, and Azog holds up the head of Thorin's grandfather, and everyone around me is like, "Ooh!" 
and I like lost my head and I like, I was like, yes, because <laughs> I nailed it. Like I totally predicted that we would see that. And everyone's looking at me like, what is wrong with that guy? Um, but anyway, so that's kind of how it started off. But once the Hobbit films were over, we were like, you know, we, we, just, we had so much fun thinking about how, like all the kinds of challenges involved in doing an adaptation. So we said, okay, let's talk about the Silmarillion because we felt very confident that Christopher Tolkien would never sell the film rights to the Silmarillion. So we're like, okay, this is a completely theoretical mm -hmm. adaptation, right? Let's plan this. And so we planned it as a serial TV show, like a, you know, a, like a 13 episodes in a season TV show, um, working our way through the Silmarillion uh, from cover to cover, uh, discussing all of the, you know, and, and it's, it's grown into this huge fan project. We have people, People write scripts. People uh, draw. Uh, you know, people do drawings of uh, of costuming, and we pick sets. We we pick locations. Um, we have uh, somebody composing the score uh, for us. It's it's really neat. It's right. it's this uh, uh, huge interactive project. We're up to the Baron and Luthien story now. Is the season we're in the middle of right now, season six, um, and it's been so much fun. I feel like I have learned so much. It, it really forces you to engage with the text in different ways as you're really thinking about how do you take this story and and make it come alive uh you know in a way that's going to be really accessible uh to a visual audience you know on uh, on a tv show it's really fascinating and i gotta tell you it makes it much easier like now when people are asking me stories about the uh about the amazon show and stuff uh -huh. i'm like man you know of course they have to do, they have to make some of these kinds of changes. Like you can't adapt, you know, you can't make it work in a script if you don't, you know, like for instance, everyone, you know, one thing that people are saying about the Amazon show is like, oh, they're going to compress the timeline. I'm like, of course you're going to compress the timeline. The timeline's 2,500 years long. <laughs> what are you going to have the human characters dying of old age every 15 minutes throughout the entire show? Like you can't do that. Like, of course you have to compress it. Yeah. You but if you've never some... thought it through that way, right. you know, if you've never tried, it doesn't work. And then, and then Corey, just to very quickly touch upon your university program. When I read your bio here, it says, uh, an innovative online university that enables students to pursue their passions without going broke. So you have found a way that they can leave your university with a qualification, but not be tens of thousands of dollars in debt. That's a fantastic thing. So could you just quickly tell us how you did that? Yeah, yeah. Well, that was actually what, so I mean, I started my podcast and I had a whole bunch of people from my podcast who wanted to take classes and stuff. And I was a tenured English professor at the time. And I was like, well, that sounds cool. Um, what inspired me actually to do it, actually to leave my tenured job and, and found the university was realizing that we could do that. And basically the secret's really simple. Like it's not rocket science. Yeah. You just lower the overhead, right? Uh, Signum University is a completely online university. We're a totally distributed organization. We have no campus, right? right? So if you remove the cost of the entire campus from the calculation, it's a lot easier to mm. keep your tuition prices really right? low. Yeah. Um, because there are a lot of, both directly like real estate costs and building costs and building maintenance and everything else. But even all of the indirect costs that are associated with that. Um, when you remove a lot of those, I mean, so we end up removing a huge percentage of the costs, uh, and therefore we can afford to price tuition. The entire master's degree, our master's degree courses are like six hundred and fifty bucks a class. Wow. That's what we charge for, uh, you know, for for one class. So you get the whole degree for under eight thousand um, dollars. And you know, we have a lot of people take one class at a time. You know, do it over the course of two, three years. Um, so yeah, you take like eight thousand dollars, spread it over two or three years, 
it's a totally manageable thing. You get a master's degree at the end and, uh, and you know, you don't go into debt. And, you know, yeah. we're in the middle of working on, we're developing an undergraduate program where we, you know, we want to be able to make this kind of thing available uh, to undergraduates as well. But the, I have to say being a, it was hard being a college professor. I have to say, especially being an English professor, because, you know, I'm here talking to my senior English majors who are graduating $100,000 in debt and with not awesome job prospects, you know, mm. um, and uh, it was heartbreaking, you know, feeling like, a com you know, like I was complicit in this system sure. that was driving students into into horrible debt. So when the opportunity presented itself to say, you know, I think we can make a difference. I think we can do this a different way. Um so Signum has been from the beginning dedicated to just kind of looking at new models, really investing in the online model in ways that a lot of a lot of schools don't. A lot of schools kind of use online technology, but they're still kind of they're they're, they're still running the old system. You know, they're still doing right. things the old way. And so we we sort of have been occupying the online space from the beginning, saying how can we do things differently? How can we really leverage this technology? to do things differently in a way that's going to, that's especially that's going to enable us to charge people a whole lot less. So it's been, it's been really rewarding. That's great. Well, and, and just to, uh, just let people know where they can find this and how they can look for it. And, you know, if you don't mind, because it sounds incredibly interesting. And yeah, signumuniversity.org is our, is our website and our, our, our program, our master's degree program, uh, is focused on literature and languages. Um, it again, it, it it grew organically out of my podcast. So we've always said we have uh, we have a Tolkien studies program. Uh, we study a lot of uh, fantasy, science fiction, medieval literature, uh, that kind of thing. We have the, the 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 kind of niche focus of our degree is very much uh, focused on the demands from our community, which is very heavily uh, slanted towards Tolkien studies and towards language studies as well mostly because of Tolkien, but uh, since he did so much language stuff as well. Growing up, cereal was one of the best parts of being a kid. Mm -hmm. But Dom, you have to give it up because it's full of sugar and junk and you really shouldn't eat it. I hear you, Billy, but we're all trying to eat better, like you said, and healthy breakfast doesn't have to be boring. Magic Spoon has amazing flavours that you'll love, but without all of the bad stuff. And it's amazing as a midnight snack right before bed. Let me give you some facts, Dom. Go on. Zero grams of sugar. 13 to 14 grams of protein and only four net grams of carbs in each serving. Only 140 calories a serving. Wow. It's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free and low-carb. Yeah, and you can build your own box. Available flavours to build your very own custom bundle of cocoa, fruity, frosted, my favourite, peanut butter, mm, blueberry, cinnamon, cookies and creams and maple waffle. And there's also limited edition flavours that are on a rotating basis. I recently tried their... Honey Graham, Yum. an oatmeal cookie. And let me tell you, my sweet tooth was satisfied without the guilt, Dom. Go to magicspoon.com slash onion to grab a custom bundle of cereal and be sure to use our promo code ONION at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's back with their 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. So get your next delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com slash onion and use the code ONION to save $5 off. Thank you, Magic Spoon, for sponsoring this episode. I love Squarespace. I know you do too, Ben. I do, Tom. From websites and online stores to marketing tools and analytics, Squarespace is the all-in-one platform to build a beautiful online presence and run your business. And the best thing about it, 
It's easy to use. It is easy because we're not very good. We're not. We're not the best, Dom. But I tell you what, I can even get my head around it. Mm -hmm. And it's got so many tools, a lot of stuff that I don't really understand: traffic overviews and unique visitors and page view trends. But you know, we let John deal with all that stuff. Yeah. But I find it easy and it's fun to use, and that's what I like, Dom. With Squarespace members areas, you can connect with your audience and generate revenue through gated members-only content. Manage your members, send email communications, and leverage audience insights, all in one easy-to-use platform, which for us is helpful because we're not that great navigating the worldwide interwebs, are we? Exactly. Half of what you said there, I didn't quite get. Mm -hmm. But anyway, all the best part is it's all your content. Mm. You keep it all on the Squarespace platform and it's one-click data portability. Mm. So head to squarespace.com for a free trial and when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com slash onion to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. But that's great because people who are interested in that then, as you say, don't have the debt, get their degree, but also they know that they're being taught by people who really know what they're doing because there's a, right. a history of you guys doing that. It's not someone you've never heard yes. of. You can look back at your right. podcast for years, uh, like I've been doing the last few weeks, and it's incredibly interesting, and there's so much knowledge there. That's a great thing. Well done. Yeah, you. it's fantastic. That well, really is. Corey, as I'm sure you can imagine, we've had a lot of people writing into us. I posted up today on my Instagram account. I said, what's the... One Lord of the Rings question you've always wanted to ask an expert. I wondered if you'd be keen to see if you sure. could answer some of these things. So I'll just have a look here. Uh, let's go. Oh, wow, there's a lot. Well, have um, you got one? Yeah, I've got one. Um, okay, so this is a good place to start. Is Gandalf stronger than Galadriel? Came from Magnus Matet. Now, hold on, Tom. Is that physically, emotionally, spiritually, or magically? They've not stipulated. Okay, so, so let's, let's say this. generally. Generally. <laughs> generally. It's, um, it's, that would be closer, I think, than a lot of people think. Mm. One of, the, one of the, the, the things that I find a lot of Tolkien fans kind of think about, they, they, they tend to classify. So Gandalf is... A Maya, right? I mean, he's from Valinor. He's like a sort of angelic being who's, you know, more, come and taken on a body and, you know. More closely related to the Balrog than anything else, right? Is that accurate to yeah, say? Yeah, exactly. Which is amazing exactly. when you yeah, think that's exactly about it. it. Yeah. Exactly right. Yeah, like Sauron and the Balrog and Gandalf and Saruman are all kind of the same Brilliant. category of creature, right. essentially. Wow. Um, and uh, uh, anyway, so... And then, you know, so you've got these, you know, the Maiar, you get the Valar who are at the top, right? They're, they're like the, you know, the, 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 the pantheon of gods, essentially, of the world of Middle-earth. Um, again, high order angelic beings. And you've got the lower order of angelic beings, of which Gandalf and the Balrog and Sauron are all examples. And then you've got the elves and, and men, you know, the incarnate beings in the world. Um, so a lot of times people kind of assume, well, since Gandalf and Sauron are on this whole other level, right, you know, ab above the elves and the, you know, the, the mere mortals and everything, they're like, you know, angelic beings, they must be like orders of magnitude stronger, you know, than yeah. any elf or any human. But it's not actually true. 
uh, there's a, a lot more variety. Like that class of creature, that class of angelic creature in Tolkien's world is really wide. Like Sauron is, is enormously powerful, right? Um, mm-hmm. But there are a lot of creatures who are really minor. Um, uh, people who are like, uh, creatures who are like the spirits of uh, uh, rivers and trees and things like that. Like there are some of those that are around as well. Um, and Sauron is like massively, massively stronger than they are. And some of the elves like Galadriel are really a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very possible actually for, you know, so, so some people have the impression that like no elf could possibly compete with, you know, Amaya, you know, that like Gandalf must be way, way stronger than Goadriel. Mm. I think that it's way closer than mm, people right. would think. Mm. I do suspect that Gandalf, like if it, you know, if it came to it, my suspicion, especially after his resurrection, like Gandalf 2.0, when he comes <laughs> back as the white wizard, Gandalf is definitely stronger than Goadriel at that point, I would say. Right. Beforehand, eh, like it would be close. It would be close. I mean, if they got into a direct arm wrestling match, I suspect Gandalf could would probably win. Right. But Galadriel's a big deal. Yeah. I mean, she's a big deal. Mm. So I think it would be pretty close. So I'd give the slight edge to Gandalf, but I think it'd be pretty close. On the same sort of um, area of question, here's a question from uh, Billy Boyd in Scotland. Hello That's to me. you. <laughs> um, <laughs> what or who within that sort of idea is Tom Bombadil? Yeah. So Tom Bombadil is a fascinating question. And there are lots of different ways to answer this question, but he basically it seems like he has to be uh, in that same kind of category of creature. Right. Um, and at, even when Elrond, in the book, Elrond talks about it, right? Um, you know, they, at the Council of Elrond, they debate the question. Because, um, you know, it comes up briefly, you may remember, they're like, hey, Tom Bombadil, like, he, he didn't even, like, he didn't even turn invisible when he put the ring on. Like right, yeah. he doesn't seem to be bothered by the ring at all. Maybe we should just bring the ring back to him and let him keep it, mm, right. and then it'd be safe, right? Um, and Elrond is like, no, you know, Elrond and Gandalf both say, look, if Sauron were to come himself, right, and try to take the ring away from Tom Bombadil, could Tom Bombadil fight off With Sauron? Sauron? Mm-hmm. No, no, right, he okay. couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. Um, and uh, but but anyway, the way that they talk about him, it seems pretty clear that they put him in that category as well. He is one of those spiritual beings who's physically manifested in the world. Um, but he's, he's different. Tom Amadil's different in every way. He's yeah. just a different kind of guy. Yeah. Um, I mean, anybody who sings all the time and is constantly talking about the color of his own clothing is a very yeah. in, different kind of so guy. It's, right? So it's never um, really, but, um, it's never yeah. really, um, you, you don't know who he is from any of the writing. Not exactly. Right. Not exactly. Well, especially since, he doesn't like have a normal story. Like yeah. he, he describes in when he's telling about his background, he makes it clear he's been there, like there in that spot. Yeah. Ever since before the elves, like from the, from the create, like from like the world gets created. Tom Bombadil oh. goes down and <laughs> says, this is it. This is it. This is my, this is my spot. This is my joint. I'm going to live here. Uh, and he stays there for the entirety of the history of the world so far as we can tell. So he doesn't have like a normal story. Like nothing happens to him except in as much as things change around him. Like he remembers like, oh yeah, there was this time when the elves came through and they were here for a while and that was kind of cool. And then the Numenorean, they had a kingdom nearby and 
that was fun for a while, but then they left and, you know, but he doesn't change and he doesn't move and he doesn't do anything. Isn't it right? great? Well, I, mean, I, sw- I think that's why I like anyway, that yeah. character so much. He's, he's great. Bob, he's yeah. almost like, a, I think of him as like an Indian guru or something yeah. sitting in a cave Sage. and he's just, you know, he's he knows everything and he's quite happy. Like yeah. he could move somewhere else. Except he does more prancing. Yeah, he does a lot more prancing. And and encourages the, the, the hobbits yeah. to take their clothes off quite a bit, which is interesting. But like, obviously he didn't he didn't feature in the movies, but am I right in remembering that in the book, when the hobbits get to the company of Tom Bombadil, don't they spend years with him? Well, it's 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 weird because it's it's actually only a couple days, but there's this there's this dilation of time, right? Like they, they there are a couple places in the books where they stop for a while and they just they kind of like lose track of time, you know. Mm. And in the book, they spend three chapters basically in Tom Bombadil land. Yeah. yeah. And and it's 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 one of the it's it's one of these examples of no modern editor would ever publish The Lord of the Rings today. Like okay. if 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 J.R.R. Tolkien were to have submitted his manuscript to an editor, you know, like to a publishing house in, you know, 2020 or, you know, 2021, he would like the, the editors would rip it to shreds. Like mm-hmm. the editors would never let a book like that get published these yeah. days. Right? right. And you think about it, right. We've just established the ring race, the black riders, right. They're the antagonists and Frodo and, and the hobbits, they're running away and all like, we got to stay on the low down to make sure the black riders don't yeah. catch us. So let's go through the forest. Okay. So they enter the forest. Then three chapters in which there's almost no reference to the black riders at all. Like we forget about the black riders. They're in this like totally different space. And what it's like, it's like an old fashioned fairy tale, right? Where you enter into the woods and then you're in a different time and place and you're encountering strange creatures. And then they even, the hobbits themselves even report that kind of experience when they get back to the road before Bree at the end, at the end of the three chapters, they do, visit Tom Bombadil in his house and then they go to the Barrow Downs and have the freaky Barrow White incident and right. then they run naked on the grass as you were just remembering the therapeutic mm-hmm. nudity at the end of the at the end of the Barrow White sequence and then they get back to the main road and they're about to go to Bree and when they get back to the road they have this moment where they're like whoa real world again it's like they've they've you know right, passed through yeah. the boundary of fairyland again and now right. they're back in the real world and oh yeah, Black Riders. Shoot, we got to be careful. Right. Black Riders are looking for us. Let's get back but for those three chapters, we're in a totally different world. So you know, I, like the the, the the old forest with Tom Bombadil is like that. Rivendell is kind of like that yeah. in some ways. Lothlorien, um, uh, especially, yeah. um, is like that. Yeah, I remember during principal photography, Pete talking to us about some friction between online communities saying it seems like Tom Bombadil is not going to feature in these movies Mm. and why he's such an important character. And Pete talking to us guys on set saying, look, I think Tom Bombadil is a fantastic character, but unfortunately in terms of trying to tell a filmic narrative, we simply can't sit around for this time with this charismatic character, you know? So I think he was probably the biggest omission in fellowship that we were all conscious of a fan community yeah. having an opinion yeah. about. Oh. Yeah, I think you're right, yeah. Could, Corey, could yeah, we... You know, it's, uh, oh, go on, go on. Yeah. I was just going to say a really quick story about that. It was literally... I, I, I have a flashbulb memory of this. The very first time I heard that the Fellowship of the Ring movie was being made, right? I, and literally the very first thing that popped into my head as soon as somebody said they're making Fellowship of the, of the Ring movie, my very first thought was, 
well, they're obviously going to cut Tom Bombadil. Oh, oh really? Like, that was literally the very first thing I thought. Yeah, wow. for exactly that reason. Like, it was just so obvious. And I was like, I was immediately bracing myself. I knew they would do it. I totally understood why they would have to do it. Yeah. But I had to like, I had my, my brief moment of grieving. It was funny. It was like, it was my very first reaction. I'm like, okay. I'm not going to see Tom Bombadil, and that's going to be okay. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's like my very first reaction. Nice. Well, Corey, maybe we can use this particular platform right now to put to bed a question that gets asked to me every time I do a Q&A, every time Billy and I do a convention together or, or separately. Anytime I'm online, people in the street have asked me, maybe from now on, if someone asks me, I can say, you can refer to the <laughs> Corey Olsen episode of The French Bunion where we finally answer the question that was asked to us here by some movie guy named Josh. Why didn't they use the eagles to fly to Mordor? Oh. Now, Billy and I have our own answer, yeah. but let's, get, let's yeah. give it the expert answer. Okay. So there are several different answers to this. One and the simplest and most obvious answer to this is that that is a crappy story. Who wants to read that story? Who wants to watch that <laughs> yeah, story? Yeah, there's no drama. Right? That's what we said that's the a other day. That's a terrible story, <laughs> right? So of course, that's not going to be how it's going to happen. I mean, and by the way, you can do that to any story that's ever been written, right? You can always say, yeah. like you can remove any drama from any story by saying, well, like if like some, like all you need is to introduce some kind of deus ex machina. Yeah, there's always a way to short to short circuit of a course, plot, of and course. it's never a good idea. Yeah. So that's like one simple answer, right? But as far as like from within the world of Middle Earth, there are good reasons for this too. And that is that the eagles, they're not a taxi service. They're not even just animals. <laughs> <laughs> like you can't, you can't like, you can't like hire a winged Uber. Like it's not how it works. The eagles are not only free agents. They're, they're kind of a big deal. Yeah. Um, highly they're kind of a big deal. Like, yeah, I mean they're highly intelligent and they're they're not even beasts. Like they're not even animals. They're not mm. even just birds. They are also like the Balrog and Gal and and Gandalf and Sauron, they are like angelic beings manifested in a body. The body they choose is body of giant eagle rather mm. than body mm. of uh, you know, old guy with beard and really long eyebrows mm. like Gandalf. But um uh, it's always been one of my life aspirations to have my eyebrows stick out past the brim of my hat. Oh, you'll which is get there. Apparently, Corey. what Gandalf is rocking. Billy's halfway ten, there. Give it well, ten years. I yeah. tell you what. Billy's I halfway get, there. And it's horse hair as you get older. The hair gets much yeah. thicker. It's wonderful. Mm. You look forward to that, Corey. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm thinking. I, I, you know, ever since I read that description, I think it's in the Hobbit that his eyebrows stick out beyond the rim of his hat, <laughs> and I'm like, right. man, <laughs> life goal, <laughs> life goal, right there. But. Uh, anyway, um, so they choose giant eagle form, right? And they're there, like they're they are the they are some of the most direct servants of the the king, a uh, high king of Arda of of of, of Manwe, the leader of the Valar, the like pantheon of gods, like the, the, the you know basically kind of like the Zeus figure uh, of, of Tolkien's uh, uh, Valinorian uh, pantheon. Mm -hmm. So they have a job, right? And if they choose to act, if they choose to help, it's a big deal when they help you. That's why, like, the eagles are coming is such a huge deal. Right. right? When they come in and rescue um, folks at the Battle of Five Armies, oh, my goodness, it's a huge deal. And there's no way you could possibly expect – you couldn't even ask them to do that. Right. right? Yeah. But they did it, and it's like, whoa, that's amazing. When they come in at the end, um, 
you know, there's the, the uh, you know, Pippin gets his wonder in the book. Pippin gets his wonderful. The Eagles are coming moment at the Battle of the Black Gate. Yeah. Right? Which is fantastic. And um, uh, and then, of course, we get them. Um, you know, th- there are a couple other places where they come in. But that those are the circumstances like they choose when they come in. And when when when, you know, when Gwai here rescues Gandalf, that, like he's doing Gandalf a big favor. Mm-hmm. Um, and Gandalf, like Gandalf won't even ask. He needs to get back to the Shire fast. Like, mm-hmm. so in the book, you got to remember, Gandalf has been locked up in Isengard for months. And the whole time he's like, the Ringwraiths are going to the Shire. And like Frodo is defenseless. Yeah. Yeah. They're going to hunt down Frodo. I'm trapped here and there's nothing I can do. So he's like months, day in and day out, been sitting there imagining like they've probably gotten to the Shire by now. Frodo's totally dead already. He's desperate, right? And, and he gets rescued by an eagle, right? Yeah. What does he do? He doesn't say, hey, um, Eagle, uh, let me punch this into my Uber. To the Shire, please. Can you just fly me straight to Bag End right now? Right. Right? He doesn't do that because you don't do that to Eagles. Mm. He's like, um, he does ask, he kind of feels him out. He's like, how far would you, in theory, be willing to take me? Right. Right? And Gwai here says, many leagues but not to the ends of the earth, right? <laughs> right? Um, and so he says, okay, just take me to Rohan so I can get a horse. And that's where he gets Shadowfax and takes Shadowfax up into the north. Um, but again, Gandalf, like, do I hear the Wind Lord, the Lord of the Eagles, is such a big deal. And he is, like, he is, he is, um, he is his own master. He is serving Manway, the, 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 the High King of Arda. You don't just work him into your plans and say, this is how we want to do things. So he imposes on him as little as possible and just has him take him to Rohan. And then he takes the horse from there. Um, So again, that's an illustration. Like it's, it is not, it's a complete misunderstanding. Mm. Like, yeah, it does seem awful convenient to have a bunch of giant eagles who could just fly you in. But that is not the job of the giant eagles and nobody, not even Gandalf would, you know, pitch that to them. Right. I remember that is not that is not their job. I remember the the Pippin at the Black Gates uh, during the movie, because all the writers mm-hmm. of Lord of the Rings, the film, obviously were huge Tolkien fans as well. And I yeah. remember Philippa, Philippa Boyens, one of the writers, came on yeah. to set, so excited to tell me that I had the the Eagles are coming line. That Pippin's going to say yeah. that, you know, and and I remember I got very excited just be, just picking up on her excitement Brilliant. because I, at that yeah. point I didn't really get the how important that line was, you know. Remember, I said yeah. I was there at that point when when she said you're going to say the Eagles are coming. I said, can Mary just be in the background going? Welcome to the Hotel <laughs> California. But it was a completely different, a completely idea, different it? thing, and yeah. it would never have worked. It wouldn't have worked. Well, have you got have you got another question for Corey? I got hundreds of questions. Come on, let's see. Let's see if we can. We've not stumped you yet, Corey. This is great. <laughs> this is this is. Um, uh, is there anything in any of the writing that gives any sort of clue of where the ant waves are or what happened to them? That was one of the questions that Tolkien always refused to answer. Really? Um, when people asked him, yeah. Just... When people asked him, he tended to say, "I don't know." I don't know. Now like he Trina. did. He did hint. He did hint that the most likely answer is that they're probably dead. Um, oh. It's 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 that that's the most likely answer. Nobody wants to hear that. It's not but the he said that's, that's the most likely answer. No, no. no, it's not. It's 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 not the happiest answer. Um, 
the biggest hint that we get, and it is, it does suggest that they're probably dead, is that uh, is 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 in the song. So Treebeard in the book sings this this song, the Ent yeah. and the Ent Wife song, where he kind of goes back and forth, like the Ent sings, and then the Ent Wife sings. It's like this back and forth um, uh, song that they have, where they're each talking about what they like and and not paying attention to the other one. But at yeah. the end of the song. Um, they uh there's the the two of them sing together the aunt and the aunt wife sing together um that together like um at the end they will meet again and they will find a land where both of their hearts can rest but the song makes it pretty clear that that's going to happen it's basically like after the end of the world essentially Ah, it's like a post-apocalyptic uh deal uh that that's going to happen so that they're probably that so within the text the clearest evidence that we have is that they're not going to be reunited until um until the after end of, the uh, end like of a, yeah the end of the world yeah uh, yeah i asked stephen colbert this question and i'm going to ask you too Corey. if you had a chance to ask professor tolkien a question what would you ask him i would i would really like to have a conversation with him about the the question the biggest question that he never satisfactorily answered and that is about the origin of orcs where did orcs come from um there's an answer to this question in the silmarillion the answer in the published silmarillion is that uh they were originally elves this is what peter jackson and the team were working with right in that speech that they gave to saruman that they were originally elves and they were captured and they were like tortured and Uh, twisted and that's where the orcs originally came from but the thing is in tolkien's later career after the lord of the rings was written he spent most of the rest of his life basically um not writing new stories but kind of continuing to write in that world and one of the main things that he did was like um make it a lot more uh, fill in a lot of the gaps make it more internally consistent there were a bunch of things in a lot of the older stories that he wrote which he was originally writing as mythology, basically. And so there were a lot of um, questions that just kind of never came up, a lot of questions of internal consistency that Mm -hmm. never really came up in his older versions of his stories. But he sat down and he's like, okay, this needs to work. Like, I should be able to write a story like the the, the Lord of the Rings for the earlier stuff as well, for the Silmarillion material as well. And if that's going to happen, it needs to work. Like, it needs to be consistent. So he he spent a lot of time trying to iron things out. and basically the orcs became a huge theological problem. Like essentially the problem is if they're from elves originally, shouldn't they have free will? Mm. Like later generations of orcs shouldn't like yeah. baby orcs mm. have free will. Mm. Um, and you can say that like, it's a nature and nurture thing, right? Like they're raised and they're, you know, and but okay. So doesn't that mean then that if you like raise an orc, like get a baby orc, oh, right? Yeah, yeah. And raise it like it could become a happy, friendly orc, mm-hmm. right? Um, uh, and if so, if that's the case, so like originally, and I believe that this to be true, so this was definitely true in his earlier Silmarillion writings, like back in the 30s and stuff. It's very explicit. Orcs are not even creatures. They're like um, constructs. Right. They're, they're like, and, and, uh, you know, so they're not even, they're not even like animals. Right. They're just... Uh, they're made of like mud and slime and hatred, right? So um, uh, that that's why in the 
books, killing them is like fine. It's a good like yeah. you never have any qualms about killing orcs. You do have qualms about killing like the Haradrim, mm. right? Yeah. Um, and that's where you get that scene. It's it's you know that scene which uh, uh, which uh, you guys did in the movie where. Uh, the Haradrim guy dies with Faramir and Sam and Frodo standing right there. And they Faramir, uh, the lines are given to Faramir in the movie. Um, it's Sam's internal monologue in the book. Yeah. But when they're looking at the dead Haradrim guy and saying, was he really evil in his heart? You know, yeah. um, did he, would he rather have just gone home? You know, uh, you know, is that um, those kinds of questions are questions that you ask about humans. Um but not about in the books, not about orcs, right? You yeah. just kill orcs and the more orcs you kill, the happier you are because they're basically just like murder machines. Mm. Like that's what orcs are. They're not people. They're, 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 they're just like murder torture machines. And so the more of them you decommission, the better the world is going to be, mm. right? That's kind of the, the way orcs were conceived before. But if they're, if they're originally elves, then like, do they have souls? Do uh, they have, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. could they repent? Can they get better? Right. And in which case it totally changes the framework towards them. Right. Yeah. So he was really divided about this in the published Silmarillion, Christopher Tolkien. So Tol Tolkien had bunches of ideas about this and Christopher had to choose one to put in the Silmarillion. So he chose the elf version. Yeah. But there are lots of other versions that he had and he never really solved this problem completely. Uh -huh. um, so what I would, the question I would ask is that's the question I would ask. I'd say, yeah. Can we talk about the origin of orcs? Just to like, because I just like to like brainstorm with him. I'd love to hear, because yeah. he changed his mind so many times. I'd love to just kind of talk through with him, you know, what was at stake, the kind of the philosophical issues that were at stake. It came down ultimately to him to like theology, sure. like evil can't create new things. So it can't be just like a new species that was created by Morgoth because evil things can't do that. Mm. But free will, evil also doesn't have the, the power to remove free will from a creature that's been given free will. Um, you can enslave a person. You can like brainwash them. Yeah. But again, you can't make their babies yeah. brainwashed before yeah. birth, you know? So and anyway, I can say he never solved this problem. The orcs are the biggest so basically, basically like, make your mind up, Professor Tolkien. Do you know what I mean? I think that's... <laughs> have an, come up with some ideas that are constructed. I, I can see why he would have problems with that, the way. Especially one. the way yeah. in the film Aragorn, like, takes out thousands of orcs. Mm. Like, he, he doesn't yeah. care. Well, you have to have a bad guy, don't that you? Sounds like you um, that sounds like a long afternoon in an Oxford pub Smoking with quite a few that's pints. It. That's just what I would... I, I, yeah. That's it. I would I would, I would, I would line up a, yeah. a, a set of pints and we'd have a long talk about it. I think this. you'd yeah. be there until closing time, True. to be honest. But that, <laughs> I think, I, I think that's a would. talk that I would like to see, though. That would it, be here's, great. here's a question yeah. that I've actually seen quite a, quite a few times online. Which is a which is an interesting one to kind of throw around. Uh, why is the ring so quick to corrupt Smeagol to the point of him relatively quickly killing his brother, but doesn't seem to do the same to Bilbo and Frodo? Yeah, yeah. And the answer is it's all about the attitude with which he began, right? Mm -hmm. um, remember how Gandalf emphasizes um, he plays on Frodo's word. Remember, like Frodo in chapter two. Um, when he's first hearing about um, uh, Gollum and the fact that, you know, like who Gollum was and everything. And he he busts out and says, it's a pity Bilbo didn't stab the vile creature when he had a chance. Yeah, yeah. Right. When he when he hears up because it's through Gollum that now Sauron has learned that Frodo has the ring. Mm -hmm. Right. So he's like, oh, man, if only Bilbo had off that guy when he had a chance, then I wouldn't be in this pickle. Right. 
Um, and, uh, and, and Gandalf pounces on that and says, pity, it was pity that stayed his hand. Mm-hmm. Pity and mercy not to strike without need. And then he adds, you can be sure that Bilbo took so little harm from the ring because he began his ownership of it with pity, mm-hmm. right? So like, the, and that's the difference. The difference was when Smeagol saw the ring, he was already the kind of person, like he was already making choices of, I, I want things for myself. I want to find out secrets. I want to find a lever that I can use against other people, mm-hmm. right? And so the ring to him was immediately a way I can do that better and get more power for myself, mm. right? So the ring had a lot to work with with him, even though he was just this little hobbit guy, but that's the direction that his heart was going already. So that's why as soon as he sees the ring, he wants it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and he's immediately moved, it, it escalates to murder uh, with uh, uh, with Diego. Yeah. Bilbo, he has the ring. He doesn't really know what it is, but when he has the ring, his first, that, that, crucial moment like that deciding moment at the beginning he has empathy for Gollum. he's right. looking at Gollum and thinking like i need to save my own life i need to kill this guy um because if i don't kill him he's gonna he's gonna kill me and then instead he says man first of all this isn't a fair fight but secondly what a horrible life this thing is leading right right down here in this cave by itself and he imagines himself in that position alone yeah. friendless solitary in the darkness eating raw fish and dead orcs for years yeah like like a drug a addict basically. Like, like like the kind of the classic yeah. stories that you hear of someone you know sleeping in an alleyway they've lost all contact yeah. with their friends and family they're mm-hmm. penniless they're homeless because of drugs i mean i know andy circus had talked about playing Gollum mm-hmm. as a drug addict mm-hmm. there's a lot of correlations right. between right. those two stories yes exactly he has he has so even though he doesn't understand the ring's role in that you know he doesn't necessarily know to contextualize it in that way but that's the kind of empathy exactly that he has uh for uh for Gollum. and so since that was who bilbo was and kind of the frame of mind in which he begins his possession of the ring mm-hmm. the ring has a much longer uphill battle mm-hmm. with bilbo we see it makes some progress mm-hmm. the conflict he has with gandalf in chapter one of the fellowship of the ring um we can see the hold that the ring has on his heart it's really hard for him to give it up yeah um but um, but it, it works much more quickly on Smeagol because Smeagol's already pointed in that direction. Um, he's wanting something that will give him more power, more leverage, yeah. more, uh, you know, inside information. Um, and so the ring's able to work on that really, really quickly. I love that moment in the film where it, you see that Ian Holm was such an incredible actor. And you see in that moment of him standing up to Gandalf, where yeah. he's he's convincing himself. He kind of goes, you want it for yourself. And he thinks, oh, maybe I could tackle Gandalf for the first time ever. Maybe this is somewhere where right. I draw a line in the sand yeah. and I kind of say, come on then, put up your dukes. I'm willing to fight you <laughs> for this ring. And then immediately Gandalf owns him and you see yes. him go, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Brilliant moment <laughs> in the film, brilliant. Yeah. Well, Dom. We're, we're midway through that chat because Corey has got a lot of facts and a lot of things that we can learn about. Extensive. Extensive knowledge. Mm. So much, in fact, we're going to have to split it right down the middle like a sandwich. We're doing a Corey sandwich. <laughs> exactly. So the Tolkien Professor, we'll see you again next week 
on the Friendship Onion. Lovely stuff. If you've got any questions, please send them to thefriendshiponion at castmedia.com. That's cast with a K. Yes, and if you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe, rate, review. You can also leave comments for us on our YouTube channel, and you should go and check out our Spotify playlist where we put up all the songs that we listen to on the show. I think that's it, is it? Well, if you want to show people around the world that you're pretty cool, then I would get some merchandise. Oh, yeah. A hoodie or a T-shirt or a pair of socks. Mm -hmm. And you get that at thefriendshiponionpodcast.com. Yes, fantastic. And also, Billy and I are going to be coming to some conventions in the next few months or so. And if you're wearing some Friendship Onion podcast merchandise, I'll take a picture with you and I'll put it up on my Instagram page. And if you want to see the Friendship Onion live at any of these places, let us know and we'll try and get it organised. Guys, we'll see you next week. Have a lovely week. Toodles to you all. Bye-bye. Bye. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.